Hi there, welcome to The Questional Show, episode 8.5, the season 26 Ultimus Week point task episode. Um, and for time, we're going to go ahead and jump right into the two point tasks that I'm covering for S26, and that are uh, it's two of the two t- uh, bleh, two of the tier two uh, short form tasks, uh, 10 minutes piece for the full um, point completion, and we are going through um, point tasks eight and point tasks 12. Um, so to start with, uh, point task eight, which says, uh, write a short biography or story about your player. This in- could include background about how they came in the ice fell, how they've done so far, a story about their role in an exciting game, or something else related to their experience in the league. Uh, and to do this, uh, I thought it was a good timing, just with everything that's going on. Um, I'm recording this on Monday, January 11th, which is the just the day after i my player tatsu nakamura was traded from the orange county otters to the arizona outlaws um and so after let's see um i was drafted with the s22 class and so was called up immediately so my first season in the league was s22 then s23 s24 s25 three, four, five, and then S26, which just completed, which means uh, that with my career with the Otters, uh, I spent five seasons there, uh, and I wanted to take the opportunity with this 10-minute task, this kind of biography of my player's career with the Orange County Otters to look at those five seasons uh, and the stats and accomplishments uh, that Nakamura achieved with the Otters, uh, and especially look through the seasons, and I went through and picked out um, one game to highlight uh, for each season. Uh, so, freshly drafted off of the Portland Pythons, um, who made the playoffs in S21 um, and lost out in the first round to the Kansas City Coyotes. Tatsu Nakamura was drafted at a certain place. I don't actually remember what pick I was drafted at at this point. I believe it was in the fourth round. So the S22 drafts was pretty uh, pretty long down the way. Uh, I was the third running back selected. Um, running back White Goodman, who has since changed his name to um, a Hawaiian name after being drafted to the Honolulu Hahalua, uh, a name that I cannot uh, pronounce as of this time. I should maybe look up the pronunciation for that. Um, uh, he was drafted at the beginning of the second round, uh, and then Kishwa Jones was the second running back selected off the board, username Hausauer on the forums, although I don't think we've seen him since last summer-ish. Uh, anyways, he was drafted to the Austin Copperheads. That took all the way until the middle of the fourth round at the 42nd overall pick for Kishwa Jones to go off the board. And then one, two, three, four picks later, we saw Tatsu Nakamura being drafted 46 overall in the fourth round to the Orange County Otters. Uh, and Acura Skyline would be drafted one pick after. Uh, and it was a really fun experience being in that draft. Um, I feel like I've talked about this plenty of times, but um, 
it was, I think there was a lot of confidence that White Goodman would go first, being a recreate and um, heavy body of experience, uh, and an Erding's advantage over uh, the rest of the running backs in the class. Um, but yeah, it was kind of a, it was kind of an interesting situation to see where uh, Kishwa Jones, Tatsu Nakamura, and Akira Skyline would go. They were both, all, all three of us were kind of tied after all coming in with the Reddit class. Um, tied about in TP. Um, and I was really excited to be drafted the Otters. Uh, and that kicked off season one with uh, them. And we went 10 and 3 that season. I think this was the last season, maybe. Uh, yeah, last season of. Of. Um, 13 game seasons in the ISFL. Uh, and we moved to a 16 game season shortly thereafter, um, which I think has been much better for the league. Yes, so we finished the season 10 and 3, uh, second overall in record, first in the conference, um, and ended up making it to the Ultimus that season, my first season where we played against Colorado. Um, and I guess, as with the S26 Ultimini with Portland, I, I guess I'm making a, a pattern of um, being a part of an organization that gets to the Ultimus as the home team strong favorite and loses. So that's, um, it's not nice, but it is what it is. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, Tatsu Nakamura finished the season... Uh, fairly well, um, was a little bit of a second fiddle to uh, aging running back Ludicolo Bigby for a little bit, uh, and especially kind of, uh, uh, looking back on these seasons, it's been really interesting because uh, quarterback rushing was so much more prevalent. Um, I think in S26, which we just completed, um, the best rushing performance by, by a quarterback was, I think, less than 400 yards total in the season, uh, whereas in a 13-game season, uh, the best quarterback rusher was Franklin Armstrong, who had 720 yards. Uh, Wolfie McDummy had 634. JQ had 464. So definitely a lot more rushing with quarterbacks, definitely as the... Um, league has gotten more and more oversaturated with talent for the number of players we have it's been harder for quarterbacks to succeed rushing um and i think it focused more on just pure passing and so you've seen more like teams like sarasota that go for a, a kind of an all-out passing attack um having a lot of success with that um without necessarily as much running contribution from the quarterback which is interesting since i think a lot of teams are still using spread playbooks uh, I think part of it might just be less success for those quarterback runs when they happen. But anyways, Tatsu Nakamura finished that first season with 211 total carries, which is not bad for a 13-game season. Um, he had a 3.9 average yards per carry and five touchdowns on the season. Uh, the game that I'm going to go ahead and highlight here for the season is going to be Week 11. Uh, I believe is the right thing that I'm talking about. Yeah, Week 11 at home. Uh, hosting Austin in a game that um, we actually lost, and I remember this game, and it was uh, crazy. 
Is this the same one I'm thinking of? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, man, this is a weird game. Uh, so the game opens up with two straight, straight touchdowns from Austin, both on Makam and Donka runs, uh, and then is going to be answered uh, shortly in the third quarter. Oh, ooh. Yeah, so a, a touchdown in the first quarter from Mendonca, and then no nothing for the rest of the half. Um, that would happen actually only uh, only about three minutes into the first quarter, so pretty much almost two full quarters of nothing happening before Austin answered the score. Um, and then with about seven and a half minutes left in the third quarter, uh, Tatsu Nakamura ran uh, the ball in for three yards for a touchdown. Uh, completed the kick, and later the team uh, came back down the field again, and um, Ludicolo Big B was brought in for the goal and carried to rush it in and bring the score to tied. Um, we had uh, two field goals by Alex Stas's view, Klesheinakadama, in the fourth quarter, and a touchdown by Easton Cole running it in on a quarterback keeper, which. Uh, Meant it was a very tenuous lead for Austin at 21 to 20. And I'm trying to remember more about exactly how the rest of this went, but I know we were trying to get a defensive stop with the last little bit left on the time. And then just had the craziest run. Easton Cole in what we don't really see much of anymore. We saw a couple of, uh, I think a good example of it in the Ultimus just recently with Colby Jack having a really nice run. Um, but Easton Cole went off for a 63-yard run, kind of carrying the whole defense as he went to luck of the game at the end. And uh, still wanted to highlight this this uh, game for Nakamura, as this is kind of the first game that he took over the majority of the carries uh, and... Uh, had uh, 19 carries to Armstrong's 12, and Big B had 8 carries on the day. Uh, completed those carries for a 4.6 average for 87 total yards and a touchdown. And, um, yeah, I think that, that really came down to the most notable game for Nakamura of the season. And looking at the time, I'm going to go ahead and go through these, remainder of these, a little bit quicker. Uh, season 23 was really Nakamura's first season kind of exploding onto the league. He led the league in rushing yards uh, and uh, carries with so 330 carries for 1,437 yards, a 4.4 yard average, and nine touchdowns on the season. Uh, so his first season leading the league in rushing uh, was his sophomore season, uh, was nominated for comeback player of the year, nominated for running back of the year. Hanyadi had a bunch of crazy stats with his receiving and his total touchdowns that allowed him to take the crown but um still a great season for nakamura here and uh the key game of s23 that i'm highlighting is um let me remember which week it is specifically it's an arizona game and it is week uh week one actually so setting the tone for the rest of the season. thought this was a great game to highlight, um, which uh, was Nakamura really taking the vast majority of the carries. Uh, this is right about when um, when Franklin Armstrong is starting to take more and more of uh, 
uh, starting to dip from regression. So uh, we saw Nakamura carry the ball 28 times, uh, had a 4.1 average, so that's 114 total rushing yards on the day, uh, and scored twice in the game. Uh, both of those times were in the third quarter um, after the Arizona Outlaws took a 16-10 lead at half. And, uh, sorry, Orange County had the 16-10 lead um, after uh, two touchdowns early in the game uh, from Franklin Armstrong passing into the end zone to Jeffrey Phillips and Humongo. And um, Arizona temporarily took back the lead uh, 16 to 17 after a baby Yoda run at the beginning of the third quarter, but um, with two scores within two minutes uh, at the end of the third quarter, uh, Nakamura knocked it in both times for a 30 to 17 lead. That the um, the Otters would manage to woo, the Otters would manage to hold on to well enough and uh, win the game there. So I think a statement game at the beginning of the season there for Nakamura. And that pushes us into season 24. Um, we're seeing better and better defenses, and um, I think less and less rushing, uh, or less and less just, uh, yeah, I think you're seeing more success on passing, um, as I think secondaries still remain fairly uh, comparatively weak, but defensive lines around the league have been extremely bolstered. Uh, and so Nakamura led the um, led all running backs in carries and rushing yards again in this season as he carried the ball 299 times for a total of 1,233 yards, a 4.1 yard per carry average, and 12 touchdowns in the season, a career high in touchdowns there. Um, this was the season that Nakamura took home the running back of the year, which I'm still waiting on the dots card for, but that's fine. Um, I think those are coming out for too long. Um, yeah, and uh, the key game that I'm going to highlight there is a uh, kind of a game where it just shows uh, taking the most of the opportunities to beat up on opponents and really um, cement that uh, that running back of the year to war, uh, award at the end of the season. And so this is a Week 7 game against Philadelphia. Who finished the year uh, 3-13, and 13, while the Otters finished the year 9-7, and seven, um, which was a bunch of crazy tiebreakers that I won't get into too much. But um, Nakamura lit it up early um, after the Liberty took a 3-0 lead. Nakamura quickly got the momentum back in the Otters' favor with a three-yard run that made it 7-3. Uh, and then we saw a field goal from Dustin Vierkleesh-Lanaknama, uh, a touchdown run from Franklin Armstrong, and uh, another touchdown run from Tatsu Nakamura to make it 24-3. Uh, and really, I, I think touchdowns was a big way that uh, Nakamura made his name in this season. Uh, and he got another one for his third on the third in the game at the beginning of the fourth quarter to really just just really make sure that the Liberty were down. Uh, so finishes with 21 carries for 101 yards, a 4.8 average, and three touchdowns. Uh, also had two receptions for two yards. So just some uh, check down receptions there. This puts us into a, an interesting stretch in Nakamura's career where he kind of took a pretty big dip 
uh, while still maintaining pretty uh, pretty strong relevance in the red zone. Um, Nakamura dropped to only 243 carries, which uh, were only um, only resulted in 920. Five yards, which is a 3.8 yard average. Uh, however, with some pretty strong receiving performance and uh, 12 touchdowns receiving on the year, uh, Nakamura managed to still be nominated uh, as probably the fifth or fourth best running back uh, in the running back of the year category. So yeah, completed the, the year with 367 receiving yards and another two touchdowns there, which uh, I think allowed him to lead or co-lead the league in touchdowns. Uh, so great season for Nakamura there. Um, still uh, being able to hang around the top despite um, certainly a, a loss in production. And the key game for this season that I want to highlight is another week one game, I believe. Uh, week two game, sorry. It's an early, another early season game. Uh, the Otters ended up finishing the season 11-5, uh, but definitely had a lot of interesting close calls on games. Um, however, uh, this is an important game to help the Otters uh, go on to a nine-game win streak uh, to start the season 9-0. and zero. Um, And that could have been collapsed down on week two uh, if it had not been for some late-game heroics from Nakamura. Uh, wasn't necessarily his best statistical game, I think, but the, the most uh, clutch performance, maybe, of his career. Uh, he scored a touchdown in the first quarter um, to kind of keep the game close after two touchdowns from the New York Silverbacks. Uh, so the game was 10-14 to 14 going into the second quarter um, and managed to grab another score uh, alongside Future Trunks, who also had a score, uh, and put the Otters up 24-14. to A pretty strong lead, but one that was going to be cracked pretty quickly from New York, who, ha uh, who soon thereafter found uh, Sh Sean Snyder in the end zone on the pass from Sam Howitzer and had two quick field goals to be up 24-27 to in the fourth quarter. And then winding down to the last couple of minutes, Tatsu Nakamura receives uh, the pass. And I remember this play was just like kind of in the middle of the field, but um, Nakamura made a lot of moves and broke through a couple of tackles and took that pass 24 yards into the end zone to put the lead back in the favor of the Otters right at the end of the game. And they would win with that final score of 31-27. to 13 carries for Nakamura for 39 yards. That's a three-yard average, and he had two touchdowns. So not the best, necessarily, performance rushing the ball, um, and I think was kind of an indicator of larger things to come for the next couple of seasons as far as yardage production. Um, but was also used uh, enough to have two receptions for 30 yards, including that 24-yard touchdown reception. So still being able to make plays... Um, but certainly coming into a point of, of um, waning production. That uh, certainly continued in this season as uh, we got to a career low in, uh, in carries per game. Uh, technically not as career low in carries for the whole season, um, but with that 13-game season having fewer his rookie season. 
But in a 16-game season, uh, Nakamura managed only 226 carries. Uh, those were carried for 946 yards for a pretty nice 4.2 yard per carry average. Um, and he made his money definitely on touchdowns, where uh, he was number two on the year for uh, rushing touchdowns, finishing at 13, which was, uh, I want to say just behind, but Tariki really exploded on the last part of the um, for part of the season and finished with 19 touchdowns, which is pretty, pretty insane and pretty spectacular. Uh, for the game that I'm going to highlight for this, we are going back to the Outlaws, as we tend to do um, with the Otters, uh, and looking towards the Week 11 game. Um, the Otters started in a pretty good spot, uh, looked to be at the top of the uh, top of the conference. However, ended up going and winning only two of their last seven games, which really hurt them. That ended up, uh, after going two and two and five in those last seven games, uh, they finished at nine and seven. So definitely a great first beginning of the season that really collapsed um, and probably would have knocked them out of the playoffs if not for a really great game for Nakamura in week 11, hosting the Outlaws. Uh, in this game, Nakamura set the pace early with two touchdowns in the first uh, first quarter and really just kind of coasted from there, didn't score anymore. But the uh, Otters took that momentum to mass a 26-0 lead, which although Arizona definitely put some dents in, finishing the game 33-21, the Otters were able to hold on to that uh, momentum and hold on to that production overall. Um and though he didn't show up on the um, on the box score further from there, uh, it's obvious from his stats at the end of the game that uh, he definitely played a strong part in continuing to march the team down the field and get them in those opportunities to score. Finished the game with 24 carries for 121 yards. That's a 5.0 yard average. And uh, finished with those two touchdowns in the first quarter. Also hauled in a reception for nine yards. Uh, and yeah, I think that was kind of uh, a game to prove that he can still be a bell cow for a team, hoping to continue that uh, that ability in Arizona, where Nakamura will continue the season from here. And we'll see how that goes. That was, um, that was uh, five years in OCO for Nakamura. We'll see. Uh, we'll be watching his career with great interest. So to move on to point task 12, which goes as follows. It seems likely the league will undergo expansion again one day soon. What would you like to see in a new expansion team? What should it be called? Where should it be located? And who do you think would be in the best position to GM? Explain why. Um, I have a few things I want to talk about as far as expansion. And I've been working on writing about this slowly. Um, hopefully it comes out eventually, but we will, uh, we will see. Um, so as far as expansion goes, I've talked about this significantly in many places, including my most recent episodes of the podcast, but I definitely feel like the league is behind in our expansion, um, and want to see more teams coming into the league. Um, talked at length in Discord about this with a few people, 
Um, I know Bailey, the Chicago GM, was involved in that conversation for a while, uh, as well as Maury, the new Orange County GM, contributing to that conversation. And uh, Beck's dropping in here and there. You can uh, find more about that in the, I believe we were in the Sim Football channel in the general Discord. But um, I think overall, uh, the discussion was a lot about like balancing the strength of expansion drafts and the ability for expansion drafts to give teams um, a really strong advantage early on. Um, and also acknowledging and um, and still utilizing expansion the the role in expansion in being able to better distribute talent uh, across the board um, and well you know I definitely think um, especially looking in compare pairing um, how well, Honolulu and Sarasota were set up compared to Berlin and New York. Um, I don't think it's necessarily on the rules for exactly how, how well Berlin and New York were able to, to build their teams. I think it had more to do with how how delayed the expansion was for that and um, how, uh, how good across the board those uh, teams since S22 have been able to get. And so even after protecting eight players on, on each team, both teams were able to draft or uh, yeah, draft in the expansion draft quite a few players. Um, and on the other hand of that, I think there were definitely a lot of teams that gave up a lot of capital uh, in exchange. Uh, I know Orange County definitely gave up a good bit in as far as um, getting um, Scory Corey, Lord Beerus back to the team after he was drafted by New York. Um, and I, I mean, a lot of teams kind of made deals to return players that they wanted to get back for an expansion draft. So that definitely makes sense. Um, and uh, and yet, I think there's a, there's a key role to be played as far as um, trying to have teams that are able to better distribute that talent and I think some of that naturally will come with people wanting to seek out free agency opportunities um, but definitely I think um, overall what I see is the current level of talent regardless of um, how well the S28 class will help fill out some additional roles um, which it's not looking particularly big from so far from what I've seen but um should be a fairly nice class, and I think what we're seeing more and more is going to be um, the S22 classes recreating and entering back into kind of the draft system in the next few seasons. Um, at least, a, at least a good number of them are kind of going to trickle out, uh, and I see a lot of them probably retiring between S30, S33. Um, so I think the big thing that I see is a strong need to get to about 20 teams given the current level of talent um if there's you know bigger and bigger classes and a good amount of um really strong retain um retainment of users and a really strong recruitment every season 
um, I can see that number going up. But given the current level of talent and uh, a pretty average to, to pretty decent level of retainment, I see the league definitely getting to about 20 teams by S30, which calls into question what do we call these teams uh, and the kind of questions of the, uh, the point task that I'm supposed to be doing and answering of uh, what do I think uh, about... Uh, what we should be looking in new expan- for in new expansion teams and the kind of sexy stuff that people like talking about, like the brandings and stuff, which I definitely certainly fall quite prey to. Um, I was very vocal. I've, I, I've grown to, to love the New York Silverbacks uh, branding a lot more, um, which, is, which is interesting because I was, I was a lot more hype about uh, the announcement of a Berlin team and... Um, really don't like their branding at all i think it's probably i think it might very well be my my least favorite branding in the league um and new york was it was a location that i certainly wasn't excited about at all so i'd love to merge the two and uh if we look forward to find um brand uh locations and brandings that are both exciting and interesting and cool and um yeah, I think I think the biggest thing uh, was was kind of going onto the map and um, looking at the current distribution of teams and where I think teams could be placed for the next kind of six expansion teams to better represent the league and to better represent uh, the kind of map of football. Um, I think Berlin was a great choice. Uh, I think. The relocation of Myrtle Beach to Bondi Beach was great for giving some more representation for the Australian players in the uh, uh, Australian users in the league, um, and just kind of the users in Oceania in general. Um, and Berlin was great um, for further representation for Europe and uh, the American football scene in Europe, uh, Germany. Germany and Austria are both countries that have really strong tradition in the area of um, of fostering a pretty good uh, American football community, and we've seen some players from Europe be able to come out and uh, have some amount of success in America. Um, but generally, I think the leagues over there speak for themselves in being pretty successful. Um, yeah, and uh, so that's been great. Um, and uh, looking more on the map, I think there are some other areas we can improve on. Um, more representation in uh, south of the U.S. border, I think, is definitely needed. Um, Tijuana is an interesting location. They're very close to the U.S. border. And I'd love to see uh, a couple of teams added farther south. Um Latin American countries uh, have a lot of fan viewership and fan participation in the uh, in the NFL and in American football in general, uh, despite not having the most mature actual play uh, American football leagues in the regions. Um, I think they're great places for representing the the kind of global impact of of um, American football. And so I've selected two locations south of the U.S. border, and that's uh, one in Mexico City. I think Mexico City is an excellent location. Um, the NFL itself plays uh, a game down there, and I think um, uh, 
if we were most realistically see um, a international NFL franchise location, I honestly think Mexico City might be the best, uh, might be the, the most realistic location to see. I think London might be a bit too far uh, for teams to realistically make consistent uh, journeys up to um, from the U.S. over to the U.K., uh, and I think Canada, I, I think Canada, A, is not as heavily populated as we maybe sometimes think, um, although their biggest cities are certainly, I think, still capable of, of holding an NFL franchise um, to a certain degree. Um, but I think the, I think the CFL kind of satiates the kind of local enthusiasm well enough that I see, um... I see more and more potentially Mexico City as being able to to host a team. The branding I selected for Mexico City is the Mexico City Mustangs. Um, Mexico has a pretty long tradition over the last century of being a strong car manufacturer as more more companies have gone there. And uh, currently Ford stands as the longest um, the longest standing automobile company operating in Mexico. Um, so I think that's cool. I think naming a Mustang, naming a team Mustangs after kind of the, the, the popular Ford car is pretty interesting. Um, but still making it just kind of a Mustang, a, a horse mascot, I think is, is pretty cool. And I think that's a, a good solid roll off the tongue name that would make for pretty cool branding. Um, uh, I think there's some other suggestions like Golden Eagles that like, don't exactly flow very well for me, um, and I still think this is a really cool, really representative branding. Uh, as far as the other team, I've also selected Sao Paulo. I've talked about this a few times, but I think Brazil is a great location. They have a pretty solid um, American Football League in, in Brazil, and definitely a lot of uh, viewership in kind of the Brazil-Argentina um, area. Uh, Sao Paulo, I think, is the best location of those. Um, I believe it's the biggest city by population in Brazil. Um, the branding I selected was the Sao Paulo Pumas. I think it has the kind of alliteration that people look for. I also think possibly Sao Paulo Tucans could be interesting. Um, maybe not as well flowy, but I think would make for a really cool uh, logo and uh, color scheme. Uh, for the other four teams I've selected, it's it's about getting to other kind of um, weak points on the looking on the map as far as representation. Uh, the Pacific Northwest of the U.S. I think is a great has has long been a great place for for American football. Um, we have a team in Portland in the DSFL, um, and I think you could definitely possibly go to Vancouver. But I think um, you know Seattle in the NFL has some of the most loud, passionate fans, and I think it'd be great to get a location there. Uh, I've, cho I've chosen for their branding the Seattle Spacers. Um, I think if we look at the kind of future time that the uh, the meta of the ISFL takes place in, um, and then we consider probably the, you know, Amazon still is, is definitely a huge business in Washington, um, but I think I'm pretty sure uh, after looking at, uh, from, from what I remember of the numbers that Boeing, uh, which is the um, aerospace company uh, based out of Seattle. Uh, I believe they're based out of Seattle. 
maybe but they're based out of Washington at the very least. Um, I believe is still the biggest employer in the state, and probably the best employer in the state as far as good-paying jobs. Um, but they're a big part of the kind of uh, state identity of Washington. Um, and I think if you look at the future, um, I think they're becoming more and more involved in aerospace travel. And I think it'd be cool to have like a, a space-themed ISFL franchise. And they'd be really interesting. Uh, and great alliteration. I like the sound of that. The Seattle Spacers sounds really cool to me. Um, looking at another weak point, I think... You could definitely see a, um, a Canadian franchise added as well. We have Yellowknife, but they're way up north and um, representing very little of the population of Canada. Um, I selected Montreal for the location there, although I could definitely see Vancouver. Um, possibly, more likely, somewhere else like Toronto. Um, but I like Montreal the best for this. Um, I, think, I believe that the Alouettes in Montreal have consistently been one of the best teams in the CFL, if I remember right. That, that could be totally wrong if people know more about the CFL than I do. Uh, but either way, I think Montreal's a great place to host uh, an ISFL franchise. Uh, I've selected the Moose, given the seemingly requisite um, alliteration, unless you're Berlin. Um, but uh, you could also go for Mounties or um, a plethora of other brandings there um the last two that i've selected to get us up to 20 teams are a team in tokyo and a team in italy which i think helps round out the the map nicely adding another um european team in italy um italy definitely also has um has played host to a football league in the country for a long time um and uh, just think it's a cool place to have a football team. Would be very relaxed. Has a it's another it's a friend for Berlin way out there. Um, and I've selected the Tuscana Toros. Uh, so Tuscany and uh, the kind of bulls. Um, I think would make for a great great location um, and a great uh, logo with the the Toros with the bulls. Um, I think would look really cool and you can do a lot of stuff with that um, also I think the bowl is used pretty commonly for one of their I don't, it's it's something you kind of see associated with, with Italy a lot um, with the kind of um, the running with the bulls wherever that is um, I think that's in Spain maybe I'm just off on another thing I, whatever, I still like it. <laughs> That's what I'm going to say. I still like it. I guess you do associate bulls pretty strongly with um, with uh, Spain as well. So maybe we move this team to Spain. Maybe I'm just off my rocker. Um, I feel like, what was, it? was I associating this with Lamborghini? Does Lamborghini use a bull? I believe they do. That's what I think this is what where I was going based off of. Yeah, Lamborghini uses a bull for kind of their icon. Anyways, that's where that's where it came from. It's genius. That's what I'm saying. 
Um, so that's great. Uh, Tokyo is an interesting choice that I've seen pretty consistently, um, and I think that comes from the fact that the X League in Japan is probably looking between them and the German Football League and the Canadian Football League. Those are probably the three most successful American Football Leagues outside of the NFL. Um, and I think you can make an argument for any of those being number one. So definitely, definitely, I think uh, there's a strong argument for... You know, you'd never see it in the NFL just because of travel times, but I think they're a very strong argument for in a simulation league where we can ignore that. Um, I think it'd be really cool uh, for the for the league to introduce a Tokyo team. Uh, and I've chosen the Tokyo Titans for my branding there um, to represent uh, with a uh, with a Japanese mecha logo, um, which has been a strong part of anime and Japanese pop culture for a long time. Go back to a lot of like live action shows that have these kind of mechas or, or um, fighting robots. Anyways, I think it'd, be, it'd make for a really cool logo. Uh, I think that's most of what I'm going to talk about as far as expansion. Um, that's what I'm most interested in. I think most people want to hear about is just the brandings. Uh, so I'm going to leave it there as I'm well into this podcast and uh, stop stop uh, harassing my grader for listening this longer and longer. Uh, thank you if you listened. Uh, that's all for me for this special 0.5 episode. Have a great day and stay questionable.